Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at adces24.org. Hello and welcome to ADCES podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm Joanne Rinker, the Director of Practice and Content Development at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. Today, we've got two amazing leaders with us to discuss the role we all have in expanding diabetes self-management education and support. I'd like to welcome Joan Bardsley and Maggie Powers to the show. Joan and Maggie, I'm so happy that you're here with us today to talk about the DSMES Consensus Report. For us to get started, I would love for you to share your professional background. Thanks, Joanne. This is Maggie Powers. Um, I have a background in diabetes education that began when I was a dietitian in Chicago. And I worked in several hospitals there. And then when I moved up to the Twin Cities, I worked at the International Diabetes Center. So I have quite a depth of practice in diabetes education and medical nutrition therapy. From work-wise, professionally, I was recently the president of the American Diabetes Association Healthcare and Education. Joan, do you want to tell us a little bit about your professional background? Sure. Hi, I'm Joan Bardsley, and I am a RN, Certified Diabetes Care and Educational Specialist. Um, I've been involved in diabetes since 1978, where I worked in Jocelyn Clinic in Boston, moved to Washington, D.C., worked at George Washington University Hospital, and I am now at MedStar Health, where I am the Assistant Vice President for Nursing Integration Research as part of that role. I am involved in diabetes education research, and I also am involved in Diabetes Institute, which manages diabetes and care and education across our 10 hospital system. I'm the past president of the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialist, and I'm also past chair of the Certification Board for Diabetes Educators. And that's where I sit now. Thank you both so much. So what we want to learn is a little bit about the consensus report. Maggie, can you kick us off just kind of letting us know what the consensus report is and then maybe who was involved in the report and why it's so important that we had a collaborative approach this time? The first report was published five years ago, June 2015, and it was initiated because there was no national position statement or consensus report that said, this is diabetes self-management education support and provided guidance as to how it should be provided. And so a group got together representing three organizations at that time, put together the report, and it has served us well. And now five years later, it's time to update it. And we've changed a couple of things in the report. We've expanded the number of collaborating organizations. We tweaked the audience. We decided as a expert panel that the audience should be providers. And that is who we are talking to primarily 
in the report, although as Joan and I go through our presentation, you'll hear how others are engaged in the whole process and nobody's left out of the report. We updated the graphic for the four critical times to provide and modify diabetes self-managed education support. We feel that that's a very important visual to getting the message out. And we this time included recommendations. We very specifically say these are the recommendations for improving access and providing and referring to diabetes self-management education support. So we still have the situation. We know that diabetes is an epidemic. We know that it costs a lot. And we know that target goals are not being met. And we know that DSMES is underutilized. And we know that people who go to diabetes self-management education services, they improve health outcomes, they have improved quality of life, and it's cost-effective. So the bottom line is we want to get more people to have access to this valuable service so that we can improve the quality of their life, reach their health outcomes, and decrease costs. Thanks, Maggie. I'll pick up from here and talk a little bit about the other organizations that were invited to participate in the update of this report. The previous report was a consensus report with the American Diabetes Association, the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists, and the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. And at that time, we had representatives from the National Diabetes Education Program. When we sat back to think about this, we realized we were actually speaking to the choir, as one says, that truly the providers and the clinicians who need to refer for education were not included in providing input. And we realized that their input was critically important. So we expanded those who were invited to participate to the Academy of Family Physicians the Academy of PAs, the Association of Nurse Practitioners, and the American Pharmacist Association. So we actually added on four co-authors, four organizations that really could provide input. Is this going to work for the people who really need to refer for education? And they provided a direction that was absolutely fantastic. They were sitting in the clinician seat saying, this doesn't happen with us. This isn't what's happening in the real world. So they really gave us a lot of very practical advice on how to tweak it to speak to the audience. Um, As Maggie insinuated, this audience, although for all people, we really wanted to target the providers. We wanted to say, this is what education is about. This is how you refer for education. So these four organizations joined us, provided a great deal of input. And the result is the paper is much stronger and much more targeted to a broader audience because of it. That's amazing. Joan, thank you so much for that recap about that collaborative approach. So can you tell us a little bit more about the revision and maybe walk through some of the major changes? So one of the major changes is that we now have recommendations. In the original paper, we clearly set out the expectation that there are four critical times to provide and modify diabetes self-management education. But within the paper, we did not call out specific recommendations. And we felt very strongly that we needed to do that. And we heard that from our collaborating organizations is to provide recommendations. What is it that you want us to do? And so we did that. And so we actually have seven recommendations. And what we did is we divided them 
into two parts. One is specific for providers. So if providers are reading the paper or they're hearing about it and they say, well, what do I need to do? We very clearly say, these are the recommendations. So they still have to do it in in context of what works best for their practice and their setting. But for example, one of the recommendations is to discuss with all persons with diabetes the benefits and value of initial and ongoing DSMES. We feel that there's many people who have diabetes who don't know about diabetes education services that is available, that their provider would like them to go, that the provider recognizes the value of this. So we very specifically call that out as a recommendation. Another recommendation is to initiate referral to and facilitate the participation in diabetes self-management education at the four critical times. So we have the recommendation specific to providers, but we also have three recommendations specific for health policy, payers, systems, providers, and care teams. Because it's not just what a provider does individually, it takes a team to care for people these days in healthcare and especially diabetes, and it's a collaborative approach. And so if you don't have the support of others around you, and it's easy to do, as they say, make the right thing easy to do. So we have recommendations for these other groups. And for example, one of those recommendations is to expand awareness, access, and utilization of innovative and non-traditional DSMES services. So if a health system helps create that, then it's easier for the provider to do her or his job. So we feel very fortunate that we were able to expand the collaboration and get this feedback and to make the recommendations so that they are very applicable to these different audiences. Just as an overview, I'd like to just talk for a second about what the four critical times actually are. We didn't change them. People were very concerned that we were going to actually change the critical times. And they said, don't do that because we've really adapted them. What we did was we did a little bit more clarification. Um, So, for instance, at diagnosis, that's a pretty easy one when you think about it. When someone is diagnosed with diabetes, they should be referred. We do talk about technology. We talk at this point of what can we do to have an automatic referral for education when someone is diagnosed. And so some of those things are included. Annually was one that probably had the biggest clarification needed. People were saying, well, what happens if someone is not meeting their goals and they're not due for an annual visit. So what we've added is annually and or when not meeting the treatment targets. So we've made that clarification so people would not wait for an annual visit, that if someone is not meeting the treatment targets for their blood glucoses, their psychosocial benefits, any of the issues that they had with nutrition, physical activity, et cetera, that that would be a great time to refer back to diabetes education services. When complicating factors develop, we discussed that as we had in the past. And then the last one, when transition in life and care occur. We want to make sure that people understood that transitions in life could be at any point, that it could be someone is going to live on their own for the first time. It could be someone's moving into a nursing home or moving in with their parents. So that could be a transition in life. A transition in care example would be if someone is changing their health insurance. How do you navigate that? It's very tricky these days. 
All of these things were really looked at in detail to provide very specific examples and to clarify and verify that these are the appropriate times. And of course, they're all evidence-based, as you can see um, when you look at the references for the paper. So can you talk a little bit about why the four critical times are so important for improving outcomes? We defined the four critical times in the original paper to provide clear expectations as to when diabetes education is most valuable. Those moments in the journey of having diabetes where education has the most impact. And so obviously at diagnosis, there's so much to learn and understand and, and even to address the psychosocial behavioral aspects of how is diabetes going to fit into my life. We believe that a proper orientation and introduction to this and setting up the idea that there are these resources to help you as you experience different things in your life, that it's most valuable to have that at ground zero, at diagnosis. So the four critical times set up the expectation that it is not once and done, that it is a challenge to live with diabetes, that different things impact your diabetes. So we want providers as our target audience, but also for the educators, the health system, and even people with diabetes to know that these are the four times that you may have the most challenges with diabetes care, implementing what you want to do, deciding what you want to do, and therefore implementing it. And that don't try to go it alone. Know that there are services there that will help you do the best that you can do at that time. Great. And then what can diabetes care and educational specialists do to encourage DSMES utilization? That is absolutely so critical. What we're trying to do is give people tools to help them. One of the tools they have is you have access to the slide deck. So as people are going out and giving talks on education, you'll be able to download a version of this slide deck. So you're not starting from the beginning and we're all saying exactly the same thing. Some of the other tools that really are important is listed when you're talking about the recommendations. So for instance, we sat there and said, well, it's not just one person, the educator, who needs to make sure this is happening. So by talking about the recommendations, of what the health policy payers, systems, and providers needed to do, that is a tool to help them. So it's really explaining to the system and to set the standard that everyone has to have a part in all of this. We also encourage the providers of diabetes education to make sure that they are doing everything in their power to engage the person, engage the payers, et cetera. So it's a real push out to these referral sources. It's not just sitting back and waiting for people to refer. So some of those recommendations hopefully will act as good tools. One of the things that we thought was very important when we were talking about our collaborators was making sure we are presenting to these other organizations in order to make sure that they knew what their role was. And so writing for other journals, having the literature, having the evidence backed up, having both live presentation and written presentations should help and give people the tools, give the educators the tools to help them move this forward. Thank you. And then how do you recommend diabetes care and education specialists 
actually engage with these providers? There's a number of ways that the educators can engage with providers. And and most educators have some relationship with providers in their system, in their clinic, or in their area. The paper, the updated consensus report, has great tables in it that if educators as well, how do I explain the benefits? We have a table that lists the benefits. It's well-referenced saying these are the benefits of diabetes self-management education. We actually have a table in the paper that also compares the benefits of DSME to metformin. And most providers have no problem prescribing metformin. And we challenge with the question, if DSME were a pill, would you prescribe it? And so there's a direct comparison and it shows all the benefits of DSME. And what you get when you go to an education specialist, you benefit from these services is a lot of the improvements in addressing the psychosocial, the behavioral aspects of doing what you want to do. There's often struggles or challenges that thinking through them, looking at different options, the education services can help with that. So I think a lot of times a person with diabetes um, might have some guilt that they're not doing all that they should be doing, or they just need to work at it harder. Well, that isn't always true. They need help adjusting to what it is. How does it fit into their life? And so we want providers to know that. We're not didactic. We listen. We support. We look at the big picture and care is individualized. And so when a patient says, I just need to try harder, maybe that's a time when they do need that referral to education services to help figure out why is it so hard. Thank you. And I love that diabetes care and education specialist being that advocate for diabetes education. But if there is a provider listening, what can they do to support DSMES? And why do you think DSMES is so important for people with diabetes? That's a really good question. I would change it a little bit and say, if the providers are listening, what can they do to support their patients who have diabetes to make sure they receive the diabetes education and support services? And I would recommend that they take a look at the paper. As Maggie indicated, there are many tables, et cetera, that really show the evidence. There's also a checklist for providers and education specialists providing and modifying the services to give very detailed recommendations on what should be happening during these specific times that referrals take place. So we want to make sure they knew what happens. It just doesn't go into a big black box where people don't understand what happens during the time that people with diabetes are receiving these services. So that's the first thing I would say. I also would refer the providers to say this is really part of the standards of care. When you're looking at the evidence, when you're looking at the American Diabetes Association standards of care, referring for diabetes education is part of it. So truly, they need to be referring to make sure that they are providing the best care possible to all of the people for whom they care with diabetes. The evidence is there. It's clear. We actually have discussion in the paper on why education is so important. It affects hemoglobin A1C, of course, which people look at as such an indicator of managing diabetes well. But it also talks about the psychosocial, the behavioral, the social determinants of health, and why all of those things can be supported by those who receive 
diabetes self-management education and support. That's great. Anything else that maybe we haven't covered that you would want listeners to know about the consensus report? So I want to add one point, some statistics that we haven't mentioned. And there may be people who are listening who think that many of their patients with diabetes actually receive diabetes education or they've made the referral. But in reality, only 5% of those who have Medicare with newly diagnosed diabetes used diabetes education services. So at diagnosis is one of the four critical times. We need to have people access diabetes education when they're diagnosed so that they are set up for their journey of diabetes and that they know that these resources are available. They're not just sent to diabetes education when their A1C is high or they're having trouble. Education is also used to continue that support, to provide a touch point for what are you doing that is going well and to keep it up but we have to have more people referred and using the services. Even those who have private insurance, there's less than 7%, 6.8% of individuals with newly diagnosed type 2 diabetes with private insurance receive diabetes education within the first 12 months. So clearly, the referrals may not be being made or patients are not accessing diabetes education. And in the paper, we talk about barriers to diabetes education, and we summarize the four different types of barriers. And so if your patients are not utilizing diabetes education services, there's a guideline looking at the four barriers to figure out why your patients are not getting the services that they need. And part of diabetes quality care. I agree with Maggie on all of those points. I think in summary, we have to look at that this is not just a one person or one system approach, that we really have to look at how diabetes care is provided across the continuum, and that hopefully this paper gives guidance on how to deal at each specific time across the continuum on how to best get the care that is needed. We're trying to provide guidance to the providers. We're trying to provide guidance to the educators in really having people step up to the plate, take responsibility, and not just say it's someone else's fault. It must be the system's fault. It must be the insurance company's fault. We really try to address a lot of those issues and what can be done to make sure that all of those with diabetes get the care that they need, which includes diabetes education and support. Well, I want to thank you both so much for talking with us today about the Diabetes Self-Management Education and Support Consensus Report. I know it's being released in early June and will be in print in August, and we really look forward to being able to read the full report. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. Today, we heard from Joan Bardsley and Maggie Powers on the importance of advocating the benefits of diabetes self-management, education, and support to providers, payers, and health systems. We learned that we all have a role to play in expanding these services, and as healthcare professionals, we can work with stakeholders to encourage awareness and utilization. Most importantly, we reviewed the four critical times to see a diabetes care and education specialist a diagnosis, annually and when not meeting treatment targets, 
when complicating factors develop, and when transitions in life and care occur. ADCES has created a variety of tools to help you promote your services, including a customizable flyer for provider offices, a PowerPoint presentation for leadership, a handy billing chart, and so much more. To access these resources, visit diabeteseducator.org slash consensus report. Membership at ADCES gives you access to the education, networking, and resources to improve your practice and optimize outcomes for your clients. Find out what ADCES can do for you at diabeteseducator.org slash join. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.